addiction. Addiction in healthcare. I've been doing this for 22 years, as I've well documented here, and unfortunately, this is something that I've heard about and learned and dealt with for 22 years. It is incredibly common in our industry, and it's yet another one of those things that nobody wants to talk about openly. We're going to, as always, on this week's edition of Travel Evolved. It's Travel Evolved. I'm doing the paper shuffle like a newscaster, but it's actually real. I was just putting some notes down. Welcome to the episode, everyone. Addiction in healthcare. Um, I, I don't really know how to start this episode out, except for just to say that we need to talk about this. This is something that is, I mean, it's, it's just all over the place. Yes, everybody out there is either dealing with this themselves, which I, I bless your heart if you are, You've seen it, you witnessed it, you know someone who has, is or has dealt with this. Again, this is the, the kind of topics I was insistent upon tackling when we decided to create Travel Evolved. It wasn't just, hey, you know, let's talk about margins, let's talk about how great the industry is. I mean, you're gonna, you, you can go look anywhere you want on the internet, you're gonna find that. Ironically, I'm noticing that fewer and fewer agencies seem to be on the internet, less and less recruiters putting their mug out there, showing and talking about it. We're going to have a few episodes coming up that will probably explain some things as to why. I actually had an amazing idea that was sent to me by one of my friends and, and some of our followers that was, I'm like, oh, there's another good idea, and I love that. So if you guys have topics that you're interested in us covering, send them my way. You can instant message me or direct message me on any of the platforms that we post things on. Just you know, look me up and, and you know, send me a message. You don't have to be a friend of somebody to send a message. It just Sometimes it takes a few days for me to see it. But I had a great suggestion today, so I love that because it just goes into the repertoire of what we're going to handle. So, again, as I, as you guys know, this is not an infomercial or a commercial about an agency or what I'm doing. This is this is to help you guys. So, what you don't get out there, especially from this side of the triangle of trust, so to speak, is anybody that's going to want to talk about something this negative, but this common. I mean, I hate to break it to you. You guys know this already, and most of you do. This is really common, and there's reasons why. You guys have, and healthcare providers, again, you know, have incredible access to, primarily what I'm talking about is obviously narcotics, um, even, even low-end, you know, drugs that help. And unfortunately, people have addictions, and people have you know, in all walks of life and all different types of addictions, it just is is who we are as people. Today, I want to bring on uh, Jason Shears. Jason is actually our first international guest. He is from England. He's from the UK, so we're actually going to be talking to someone from the UK. Uh, Jason is a he's a certified uh, psychotherapist and transformative coach. He's got a long list of credentials and in, in, in multiple modalities of psychological change work. He's done over three decades of research and, and clinical practice in the addiction and in mental health, uh, including his, his, his own practice. So Jason, I think, is, is going to be helpful. You know, while Jason and I, neither one of us are working at a hospital, Jason will probably share some personal stuff with you as well. I just wanted to get a perspective from someone that's willing to talk about this. And I, I thought, you know, A, can get a first international guest, but I think it's really cool. Jason's a great guy, very knowledgeable, very different, not different. I, I like the way he, he thinks about things. 
and he looks at things and, and objectively. And one of the things that he and I talked about truly was that addiction is oftentimes put into a label. And that's part of our problem. I, I, don't, I can't really speak intelligently what it's like overseas or especially in the UK, but here, if you're addicted to anything, even cigarettes or nicotine, instantly there's a label that you're mentally weak or you're deficient in something or you're soft or there's a problem. And I think that's part of our, our issue here in the United States is that instantly there's an issue. So if you are judging somebody who's working alongside of you or in you know, your facility that has an addictive quality to their addictive personality to themselves, the tendency is instantly to look down on them. I'm trying to explain this the best way I can. I'm struggling here because it's not just in the hospitals, it's everywhere. But especially in a career where you're dealing with medicine and dealing with the administration of narcotics oftentimes and, and serious drugs and less serious drugs, you're expected to be different. You're expected to not have addictive qualities. And last time I checked, healthcare travelers especially are people too. So there shouldn't be any reason why just because that is your field that the addictive nature of what many people work deal with would be any less. So anyway, I, I just felt like this was one of those topics that um, I threw in. This is one of my contributions because I said, I've never really seen me talk about it. And I will tell you guys, as a CEO of a company, I deal with this almost on a weekly basis. The bigger the company is, the more you deal with this, whether it is passing a pre-employment drug screen or getting that call you never want to get to your account manager or all the way up to you where it's like, hey, we've got a problem with some shortage, we're doing some investigation, and it rarely ever has an outcome where the person stays on the job. I'll put it that way. It's, it's almost always a smoke is fire kind of thing. And that's unfair to say, but I'm just telling you what I've experienced for 22 years. Typically, most facilities have dotted their I's and crossed their T's when there's that sort of thing going on. Now, I'm, not, I'm not talking about a mistake or a true error in waste or shortage, that kind of thing. That happens frequently, and it's oftentimes just a hospital's protocol. But I'm talking about where they have spent time and done some research, looked at logs, looked at codes and, and cameras and everything else, and you, you, whoever, whatever they have at that facility, and have, and have said, yeah, we're, we're, we're sure. They don't typically make that phone call to those agencies unless they know there's an issue. And like I said, it's, it's really rare. I can't actually think of one in my head where somebody was, I got that call where there could be an issue with a, you know, something that with, with dealing with some sort of a narcotic that has gone where they're like, oh, gosh, we were wrong, totally, totally never mind. I can't, I can't recall one in 22 years. I'm sure it's happened. But, uh, you know, this is, this is just one of those things we should talk about. So I thought Jason could come on. I'm kind of waiting because he's got a really big, obviously, a time delay. It's not just like he's in, you know, on the East Coast or whatever. So uh, he's taking some time uh, out uh, with me, and he did text me that says he's actually contracted COVID uh, today. He just found out earlier today his time that he's actually got a mild case of COVID. I mean, I'm going to call it a mild case. It's COVID. He's tested for it, but he said he just isn't feeling that swift. It's nothing really tough on him, but he's not feeling that great. So anyway, we're going to talk to, to Jason about addiction in general. I think you guys are really going to like what you hear from him as far as I'm hoping that that for whatever your reason for listening to this episode is, whether it's yourself, someone you know, or just being a great healthcare provider that knowing that you're going to run across this, I'm hoping that we can kind of change some of the mindset a little bit about the person that's dealing with this, whether it's you or someone you know. And I think that might go a long way to helping someone to recognize their issue if they don't recognize it and potentially helping them to get some help. Because the last thing we want is for this to get so bad, not that, it, not that it's bad enough, but for this to be where your career has ended. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody. There was one guy, I think, in the history that didn't make mistakes. Everybody made, and he made mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. So we have to learn that people can get better from their mistakes. And you can actually become, you know, a, a really great healthcare provider if you're able to fix the addictive quality you have. So anyway, without further ado, he is on there. So I'm going to jump on uh, with Jason, and we're going to have a quick conversation. And I'm going to make it quick because I know he's not feeling that great about uh, about addict addiction in healthcare. So hang tight. Hey, Jason, how are you? I'm. Uh 
Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How about you? <laughs> well, you're, you said you're not. I just found out, we just discussed you had, you've, you've got a slight case of COVID <laughs> going right now. Well, yeah, the body is not great, but the mind is good, you know, oh, that's, that's kind perfect. of the way I see it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations on being Travel Evolve's first international guest. I really appreciate it. And thanks for spending some time uh, today with me, especially since you're not feeling good. I, I really appreciate it. We got a, a no cool worries. topic. I don't know if it's cool. That's kind of a weird, weird description. <coughs> you and I want to talk about, I guess, addiction in healthcare. And, um, you know, I, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but and we did, we, we've talked. So, I, I mean, we kind of both know. It, it is something that, unfortunately, is there's easy access in healthcare. So, it is something that is relatively um, common. It's not unusual um, for me to, you know, have, you know, travelers have issues or other, you know, hear about stories. It's just one of those things. So, Listen, you're a you know you're a, a certified psychotherapist. You have a, a list of accolades that go on forever. So when you and I were talking, I'm like, I thought you'd be a perfect person to talk about this topic with us today. And I guess I think the first thing that I wanted to really kind of talk about is I wanted kind of to define your version of addiction because it's so you know I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. It's it's so arbitrary based upon who, what people think. So. I wanted to get your take because you have a unique perspective on addiction. I think a really, a, a really uh, interesting one and, and a, an educated one. So let's talk about what your addiction, your d- definition of addiction is, really. Yeah, thanks for that, Mark. Um, <clears throat> I, I think it's an important place to start because we could talk about addiction and people would be, um, people would be listening as if we were talking about the same thing that they thought it was. You know, and I think it's important from this perspective to really set the scene about what we're talking about. And, you know, over the years, my own personal experience with addiction and recovery and, you know, the, it, I always say that, like, my practice, as in my work with people and groups, evolves with my own personal understanding of myself, you know, because I am the vessel through which the message passes, you know. It's like it's not... a an academic or a somewhat um, topic that I've learned in that way and I can just help other people with it. It's really it's really the outward manifestation of who I am and how I realize that my own mind works, you know. So um, at the moment, I would call it, if you wanted a term from we- from the Western medical sort of profession, I would call it somewhat psycho-spiritual, you know. It's a, it's a psychological concept until it's not, until people see... It's a spiritual truth that we're pointing to here, which is the <clears throat> people get, you know, like so caught up in the actual behavioral process in typical Western medical models in, in psychology and psychiatry, you know, that like the focus becomes about the behavior or the process, you know, whatever people are into. It could be a um, eating, for example, you know, it's all about controlling the eating. It could be about pornography and it's all about putting blockers on your computer and, and getting rid of your credit card and so on or controlling your use of how often you drink wine or alcohol or something like that, you know, and it's like, it's somewhat of a, you know, innocently, I, I'm going to say innocently because I don't believe anyone's got bad intentions, but the whole system is somewhat, uh, I call it self-perpetuating and iatrogenic, you know, it, it very much worsens the problem that it sets out to, or, or, or even creates the problem that it sets out to solve and leaves people with no, in an endless loop and no real solution to the problem. Because what I found when I worked in that particular model was that, um, you know, people come with one addiction and they get that help at the level of the behavior or the level of the process and they just transfer to another addiction. You know, they don't really get to the core of what's going on. They just really sort of stop pornography and start overeating or stop overeating and start drinking alcohol or stop drinking alcohol and get into thousand pounds worth of debt or put on 50 kilos in three months. You know, it's like, it's always like that. And what I'm talking about is the very core understanding. It's about the truth of who we are and how the mind works, how we get caught up in seeking something outside of ourselves in order to make ourselves feel better on the inside. And that's really the the definition of addiction, looking at what, what is that process that happens in the mind-body system where somebody looks for a solution to a feeling or a thought on the outside via a process or behavior, you know? Right, and it's probably not, it's probably, I guess, for folks who don't have this this psychosis, this 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 
it's hard for them to understand. And I think that's part of our culture is that it's almost kind of like if you don't have this particular trait, I guess for lack of a better word, and, and apologize for my ignorance and my terminology, it is hard for people that don't understand. It, it, so the, the first reaction is to they make, make them feel bad about what it is that they have as opposed to, you know, so there's already instantly that, you know, it's, it's almost like if you were addicted to narcotics or, or, or alcohol or pornography, instantly there's a label put on you. Yeah. I'd love to address that. So, you know, just moment, even if it's just quickly, you know, is that like uh, in my um, work, you know, I, I, I want to like, take go get away from labels you know i don't want any labels in the typical western medical model the psychiatric and the psychological talking any talking therapies anything you know um regardless of the modality of talking therapy you know of which i have a long list of credentials in myself you know it's like that um you know there's the somewhat of a focus like i said on the behavior and on the label you know it's kind of like and on the on the defining of what addiction is now, so there's so much stigma for people with that to, to start with, you know, it's like, and people just really don't want a label, you know, people are not, um, you know, in the long run, there's so much shame attached with it. And that's one of the things we yeah. talked about, the shame of addiction, you know, admitting that you've got a problem. Oh, you have to admit that you've got a problem. Well, people don't want to admit that they've got a problem if they're going to be labeled and come and be told that they've got something that uh, they're going to have to deal with for the rest of their life and they can't get away from. So... For me, you know, it's really about simplifying the understanding of addiction and saying, you know, it makes complete sense. We, we have a body-mind system that is self-regulating. And by that, it's a really simple analogy is if you cut your finger, right, and you just leave it alone, it fixes itself. There's no trace of any cut, you know. It's like as long as you haven't, like, done something that requires a slight medical intervention, you know, in most cases... You can cut yourself, you can break your leg. It might not heal in the right way, but it will heal itself. The whole system is self-regulating. When you put your food in your mouth, you don't sit there thinking about digesting it. It just happens by itself. You know, like the, the system is working perfectly in the same way that the mind is working perfectly. You know, addiction is like, we can take ourselves away from that natural equilibrium using with a misunderstanding of our own thinking, you know, of, of our own thought, of how we use the creative power of thought, how we make up stories about ourselves and how we get caught up in this seeking from a, from a place of lack, you know. So if you're using your own mind against yourself and you're creating a story of lack, i.e. I'm not good enough, looking at the Western mater typical material paradigm where it looks like if you could only get a better relationship, more money, a better job, lose weight, whatever the thing is, then you would be okay, then you would stop this addiction. You know, Looking at that as an idea, it's like the whole system is working exactly as it should. You know, If you leave the mind alone, it quietens down. But what we get lost in is we get lost in trying to fix it, you know, and, and so so we're innocently, you know, I, I, I use the word innocently a lot because most people just don't understand how it works. You know, it's like that we're innocently trying to fix something that doesn't need fixing. And that's where we take the stigma away. Of course, it makes sense that if you're creating, let's let's take, for example, if you're creating a story about yourself, which is what I did on a daily basis as a victim of something if you've had a bad relationship you've been you know, you've had a unfortunate experience you've lost somebody you've been had lost somebody's a tragic illness you've had health issues yourself so every day you wake up and you're telling a story of oh my god i was so badly done to my life's terrible this has happened that's happened if i could only get here then i would be okay then of course using a substance or a process to soften you know the feelings that you're experiencing through that story that you're telling makes complete sense it's self-regulating it's it, it, of course the mind is going to find a way to quieten itself because that's exactly how it works we're, we're, we're innately resilient beings we we find our way and and this is so quantifiable everywhere in the world you know it's kind of like people get into all sorts of situations that they get themselves out of without knowing you know like i don't know how that happened but i got out of that or i had a car crash and i escaped from a car or you see situations where 
people were trapped and somebody lifted something beyond their own strength to rescue them. There's innate resilience in the design of human beings. So, you know, bringing that all together, you know, addiction makes complete sense. You know, it's like it is just the mind regulating itself. That is how it works. And it's like when people see that, they start to say, oh, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not broken. You know, I don't, I don't need to label myself for the rest of my life. I don't, you know, it really is an innocent misunderstanding of how the whole system works. It's, it's really, I'm just, my mind's racing as you're talking, because you're absolutely right. I mean, and if you really stop and think about it, it is, it is healthy to, to first of all, not label yourself and say, listen, I mean, okay, so I'm addicted to narcotics. I have this. It doesn't mean I'm a horrible, horrible human, which is what I think, especially in healthcare, when when you're mm. surrounded by people that don't have that same addiction, let's say, it makes you feel like you are just the most god-awful worst person on the planet because you have something that other people may not share or as many people share as you. So the first thing is guilt, shame <clears throat> to yourself primarily. Maybe you're shaming yourself because you know your, your constituents are going to potentially shame you if they find out about it. You hide it. Mm. You start to tell yourself stories and, and figure out a way to cope with it, with those mechanisms of justifying your whatever. I mean, it's, it really is. And it's a cycle. And it doesn't, it doesn't lend itself to saying, okay, here's what it is, innocently, as you say. Once you've addressed that, now, now maybe I can figure out a way for me to reduce that addiction or get rid of that addiction without, without all those feelings of guilt and shame, I guess, that are associated with it. Yeah, in that case, you can't even get out of the starting blocks, right? Because you're just so, you like, and that's common, you know, especially if you've got a sense of responsibility. Let's say you're responsible for the, um, you know, for the uh, pain medication, you know, in your healthcare setting or whatever it is, you know, it's all sleeping tablets, often the case, you know, it's like that. Uh, somehow you have that sense of responsibility and you've started dipping into them and taking them yourself and finding excuses. And, you know, I've heard, I've worked with so many people that have had this literal experience, you know, where even when people have, you know, died and they've been taking their medication knowing that they wouldn't need it, you know, I've, I've, I've worked with that on multiple times, you know, and it's wow. like people have felt so much guilt about that. Right. Um, people who have had terminal illness and people stealing their pain medication and pretending to give them uh, other tablets, you know, I've, I've, wow. I, I would never name people, but like, I, you know, I've seen no. the extremes of those experiences, you know, in the, in the healthcare industry. Boy. And um, it's just hard to even hear. That's hard to hear. Yeah. And and it, and those people are not bad people, you know. They're really sort of locked into that, um, you know, that sort of. They don't want to do those things, but they're sort of so caught up in that obsession and compulsion that happens within addiction, you know, that they're they're sort of find it the only way they can quieten their own mind or find an escape from themselves, you know, is is you know in those situations. And there's no moral judgment here for me, certainly, you know. But as you said, you know, it happens within the professional healthcare and you know just to address that slightly it's kind of like that um you know th there's only one force here and it's always love you know it's kind of like there's no forces of evil no one is is actually like making evil decisions to hurt people and so on you know it's like that people just innocently misunderstand even the people that are full of judgment and full of projecting the shame onto others you know it's kind of like they really just again caught up in a misunderstanding of what's going on because that judgment is never it's not helpful to anyone it's not useful it's not beneficial in any way it doesn't make anybody change it doesn't you know it's like I've seen the extremes of um, judgment and shame projected onto people by, you know, with, with, with people who have got strong feelings. And it's it's never made a difference in the world. Only love can make a difference, you know. Well well said. Perfectly stated. Yeah, it's that's yeah, that's good to hear. And I think it's it's good for everyone that's listening to us, whether you are, you know, falling under the category where you, you have some, t some, some issues, some tendencies, or you're one that potentially could be, judging other folks so i guess is there such a thing as people having a, an, an addiction and i'm using that in quotes to, to define your term and not even yeah. re really recognize it how do they i mean is that a thing because i want to ask you how do people recognize they have an addiction but i don't even know if that's a thing do you if you have it you you do you know it or is there or do you just hide it if you're deny it so to speak 
How do you recognize if you have an addiction? I guess that's my question. Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I always used to, I always say, you know, that if you have to question if you do or if you don't, then you, then you do. You know, it's like yeah. that's almost 99.999% of the time the case where if you have to ask yourself that question, is there really, you see, we all have this um, brilliant, yep. Intuitive, intuitive knowing, you know, and it, and and often we don't want to admit that because admitting it, this this like it, it's like if we cross the bridge, then we've really got to look on the other side. What's there, you know? It's kind of like so. There's this sense of kind of like looking the other way, going, I don't, I don't see any bridge, you know. It's kind of like I'm just kind of like seeing this. Yeah. But then when what happens is that noise, you know, life is always pointing us home. And by that, I mean, it's always pointing us to well-being. It's always pointing us back to, uh, you know, in a way that's going to help us. You know, the signs are always there and that's our intuition. And it's like, if you're even asking yourself the question, you know, like, have I got a problem here or haven't I? Well, you can see if you follow that trail, like the, the end result of that is like life pointing you back to, to, to your well-being. You know, it's like, because yeah, okay, I'm going to have a look at this. Okay, yeah, I've got a problem. I'm going to tell someone I'm going to find some help. What's at the end of that road? You know, the end of that road is right. some respite, some freedom, you know, some help for myself where I can live a life free of this thing that's taken me away from, from, my, from the present moment of life, you know? Yeah, uh, it's, that's, that's actually very clever, and I, and I think I agree with you. If you and so, yeah, if, you, if you're questioning it, it's probably right there. Most people so don't guess, question yeah. that. They, they don't have to ask themselves that. They don't need to, you know. That's where you can see it. Yeah, it's just whether or not it's repressed and buried or it's full front and center. And, and I guess in the profession that, that I deal with here on Travel Evolved, it's probably more front and center because it's, it's, it isn't like somebody who has an alcoholic or has a, a drug addiction that's, you know, a businessman or woman or who knows what, and they're at home. This is front and center because it's with your career and you are obviously um, – I'm guessing that more often than not, you're right, that people just kind of know. This is yeah. probably a, a really unfair question, to, especially something that we were trying to do on a podcast. Certainly won't be enough time, but I, I, guess, <coughs> I know people are going to be thinking, I'm so sorry you're feeling bad. What, what's no, kind sorry. of the first, a first step for, you know, for recovery or for health or mental, mental uh, uh, improvement if if you say okay, you know, I'm listening to this and I and I have it, or you know somebody that maybe you, you think is dealing with this, what's what's the kind of some first steps? I know it's a lot. That's a loaded question, but <laughs> let's see if mm. we can tackle some of it here. Yeah, and it and the first step is it's like it's going to be that intuitive knowing within you. You know, it's kind of like you know if you need help. You know, if you really have asked yourself the question, "Am I struggling with this?" and you've kind of come to that place of going. Well, yeah, I am. You know, it's kind of like you also know the next step. You know that you can speak to someone. Now, like this is where perhaps we can shine a light on kind of like the best way to move forward. But I always firstly point people back to that intuitive knowing within themselves because that's what I'm doing my whole time. I'm helping people see that they have all the answers within themselves. They always do. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go this alone. That means that you just know that you need help, but you may not know where to go to or who to ask, you know? And um, one of the most um, priceless things that I point people to is have somebody who supports you and believes in you, not necessarily the person who you think knows the most about addiction first, because people are often so willing to give advice and it doesn't fit, you know, like find somebody who believes in you, who isn't judgmental, who's willing to support you in finding the help that you need. That supporter, that person who will listen to you without judgment, that person who will be there and, um, you know, help you where you need the help, you know, and help you see, you know, what's next. You know, like, it's almost like getting some, uh, I like the analogy of a rowing boat, you know, it's kind of like, you don't want someone to shout instructions from the side if you're sinking. You want somebody to say, let me jump in with you and we can sort this out together. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like that person that's going to be with you, that's going to that's going to rely on you. They don't have to be the most knowledgeable person about the subject matter, but having a support and someone who believes in you to find the way, you know, is certainly 
um, a priceless, you know, I really can't emphasize how important that has been. And I've had some people like that in my own journey, you know, that are still with me, that have, that have um, given me their time, that have never judged me, that have always helped me, pointed me where, where they, you know, and, and, and supported me and trusted me in my own knowing about what was the next right move for me, you know, in many ways. And I, and I think that that is... Um, you know, and after that, you know, together with that person, if you've got that person, I mean, that if you've got somebody like that, that's a um, an amazing starting point. And then together, like, look for help together with that person, somebody you can run things by. Do I need, to, am, have I got a physical dependence? Do I need a medical detox? You know, if I do, then maybe I need to go to a treatment center. If I go to a treatment center, what sort of modalities do they you know, how do they uh, define addiction in this particular treatment center? Because every treatment center will have a different way of treating and different beliefs about addiction. Um, you know, how long is the program? Can I afford it? Will, if you're in the U.S., will my am I in network, out of network? What's the what's the insurance process? You know, like with this particular center, and will I, can I get it paid out of my um, insurance? Uh, you know, what effects, knock-on effects, will it have in my life? You know, all those things. But when you've all those things are important, but when you've got another person to sort of reflect on those things with, it just makes all the difference than feeling alone with it all, you know? And that person doesn't have to be physically involved in, in your care, in the care that you need to get help. The, the care might be that you need, it might be, look, I've got a, um, you know, I, I, I'm a binge drinker or, or I'm a binge eater or I watch pornography when I get down or whatever it is, you know, it's kind of like... You, 12-step meetings might make sense to you you know find your late look up your your latest uh, your local um sex and love addicts anonymous or overeaters anonymous or narcotics anonymous or cocaine anonymous or alcoholics anonymous whichever is your flavor of suffering and and just try it out you know there's so many options there you know definitely i, I, mean, I like that concept because what you're really saying is that you, you got to have somebody in your corner and the fact is they don't have to be and maybe it's not even it's better if they aren't a quote-unquote expert because Often, no matter yeah. what you're trying they're still going to support you and yeah. none of us probably really know what is going to be our best avenue for for help so having that person in your corner that's going to support you yeah go get this maybe it's just hey it's isn't it time for your meeting don't don't miss it and I, you know mm -hmm. i'm there i'll go with you whatever it is um that's huge yeah. I, and i also think that yeah if someone says they're an expert i mean Unless they're going to roll up their sleeves and, and start counseling you, I think it's that's that's incredibly important because there really is not to get back to labels again, but addiction and mental illness are are they are they the same thing? Is there is there a, a mental illness which again is a stigma? Oh, I, I you know I, I'm I'm not smart or I'm you know that's 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 not what mental illness is. It is mental illness. So is that part of addiction? Well, I mean, like, we could get into the semantics of it for sure, you know, it's kind of like, and, and depends where you've been, actually, in the Western medical model, you know, if you've been to a psychiatrist, you may well have been labelled with substance use disorder, you know, uh, um, which is a diagnosis given out the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, and you may well have um, agreed with that and said, oh yeah, that's true, you know, I do, it's like, but actually there's no truth their concept if you really want to get into it you know it's kind of like there's no truth to any mental illness you know there's no factual medical test to prove that you've got any mental illness there is only conceptual understanding and subjective opinion about what it is and if you want my um you know personal experience well personal experience i've been in that model myself you know and i've been misdiagnosed multiple times and given medication that wasn't right and i've also worked with many people that have been misdiagnosed and misunderstood uh, that have been given labels that didn't really need them and um there's so many uh even this the, the, uh, just to quote a couple uh sir thomas insel who was the national uh, he was the head of the national institute for mental health in the u.s for 13 years you know so we're talking a major uh, influential um psychiatrist and neuroscient neuroscientist made a statement that said there's no 
truth to meant to schizophrenia or depression they're just constructs you know he actually said that and um another one is alan francis who was leader of the task force that created the diagnostic and statistical manual uh, wrote the book saving normal he also said that um you know mental illness is a set of constructs that seeks but never finds the truth you know and it's like you know we're going off in a whole tangent here but like I'm not saying psychiatrists have got bad intentions. Of course not. They've got good intentions. They really want to help you within the model that they're um, that they're using. But you know, there's there's um, there's an ultimate truth, you know. And and Western medical material paradigm stuff isn't really it. You know, it's really just conceptual um, pointing. And I'm not saying that again that, that there are times when people have. Um, episodes and experiences of mental illness where medication may make sense you know it may make sense to uh, find yourself some sort of temporary respite especially if you're having psychotic episodes and something like that with addiction there's a there's a um, uh, there's a real common um, thread where people get misdiagnosed with with certain other mental illnesses as well, particularly bipolar and sometimes even schizophrenia that don't that really just struggling with addiction. You know, so I take it all with a real um, have a real reflective view of it and considerations about anything you're told from anyone, including me. You know, it's like that. Um, I include myself in that. You know, because I I don't like to give opinions, and if I hear them coming out of my mouth when I'm working with someone in that in that basis. I would always tell them to take my words with a pinch of salt and consider it for themselves as to what is true, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I, 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 and the label thing is, 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 I don't know, it's it's unfortunate. You just can't get, get away from it. I mean, because really at the end of the day, and you know from experience, if you have, a, like in our case, we're, for our example that we're really kind of focusing on today, and that's, that's you know, narcotic addiction among healthcare workers, this will get mm. you. I mean, if you have a problem and you're not seeking some kind of help, I mean, I guess there's, there can be functioning, you know, narcotic addicted people that get through long periods of their life without being caught or who knows what. But eventually, for the most part, this is going to end up being detrimental to you, your career, your life, and everything, I would imagine. <coughs> Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just a tendency of the human, um, the human mind to think I'll work this out myself. Especially depending on our upbringing and depending on the societal conditioning that we've received within our family and within the, the people that have been influential in our lives. Like, oh, some people get brought up with the belief that oh, you don't tell anyone about your problems outside your family. You know, there's all sorts of stuff like that. I could go on forever about these yeah. type of conditioning that people have. Conditioning meaning beliefs which means thoughts that people have been, that have been installed into people that they've thought for a long time that they now believe are facts. You know, it's just a, a condition. It's typical in the Western society that the mind gets conditioned with beliefs about things. So if you've got that particular thing, like, oh, you don't tell anyone outside the family, it's like we, we help each other, you know, and we tr- get through this and we find a way and stuff. And it's like they really will struggle to go outside their family and ask for help or outside their little circle of people that they trust you know and it's um so choose choose carefully if you're gonna find somebody you know like trust your trust your instinctive um feeling about trusting people you trust your own instinctive feeling about who you feel safe with you know who you can share that with who you can who you can bring into your inner circle of course this stuff is life-changing so if you've got that and you're trying to work it out yourself, you could, you're still always going to come to the point where you're going to go, you know what, I've tried everything within the support network that I've got. Could be family, could be one person, could be 10 people, you know, and um, but it just hasn't worked and I really need to find someone else. So it's like about... You know, having convers- don't be scared to have conversations with people and um, see how you feel. Does this feel good? Does this feel right? Can I trust this person more? Can I share more about what I'm doing, what I'm doing in my life? And, you know, always I'm always pointing people back to their own instinctive knowing of what's right for them. You know, if a person's right, if you have a bad feeling about somebody, I'm not sure about this guy. He seems to be overly full of advice. He talks too much. You know, trust that, you know, if it, or mm-hmm. this person 
person feels really safe they feel like i could share with them and i, I you know and i could be with them and i, I could open up and see what happens. trust that you know trust that knowing of, of people because there's there's professionals you know in all sorts of modalities and uh, ways of working there's treatment centers especially in the u.s there's they're everywhere you know it's like and there's people who help with addiction in many ways you know so it's really about not this is not me saying what type of way is right for anybody or everybody you know it's really about saying use your own instinctive you know your intuition about what is right for you what feels right for you we uh we all are, are, are gifted with that inner voice and I, I think it's there for a reason I, I have it a lot in my my business and just ooh, there's like those warning signs and I, I've learned to listen to it more I, I think you're right I think that unless you're just a terrible judgment that inner voice is guiding you in the in the right path so I, I, I think that's for everything whether it's recognizing the issue choose seeking yep. out you know who to 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 confide in and also potentially the type of treatment that may be you feel is best suited for you. I, I want to yeah. ask you an interesting question. I feel like I'm going backwards in a cycle, but I just, it just popped into my head. There are people that have addictions that like it. They don't, they, they're not, they don't want it. They're, they're like, I, I, this is, I enjoy my addiction, right? I'm not ready for this to be something that I'm recognized could, could destroy my life or certainly make things very difficult there are there's a phase in this right and again i'm in reverse order that before you even recognize it you know you're doing it but you're like i don't care i i i'm addicted to this and so far it hasn't i i'm in, I'm in that euphoria stage potentially is that is that a thing yeah i i think that's going to be the, the biggest I mean, you can never convince anyone to get help that doesn't want it, that's for sure. So I think that struggle is going to be more for loved ones, you know, and I think that, like, it's important, you know, that perhaps there's people listening that are loved ones of somebody that is struggling with addiction and wondering how they can, how they can help somebody. And most people will try at first, particularly if someone else feels like they're interfering or they may threaten their... Um, their ability to continue medicating themselves in whatever way that is could be a process behavior could be a substance or or, or alcohol you know um, so the the initial response particularly if someone's like you explain like they really want to keep doing it you know it's kind of like that if someone tries to interfere with that um, they'll be instantly defensive or hide it from them or they'll withdraw more you know they'll probably share less information or try and hide any signs that they possibly are so that person wouldn't know more about it so the answer is is like you can't help somebody who doesn't want help you know for sure it's kind of like you can't convince somebody that what they're doing is bad for them you know it's like they really have to um come to that place of uh, of wanting help so the best thing that you can do for somebody if you if you're a loved one and you know somebody is struggling you you can tr this is another place where instinctive knowing is important like that if you have a loved one that's struggling you will know right you might not know you might not see it but you will know this it, it's like that knowing that when you meet somebody you know if you want to know more about them or you know if you want to get away from them you always know you know it's kind of like it's the same type of knowing that i'm talking about it's like that if you have somebody that you love and there's something a bit strange they're locking themselves away a lot they seem withdrawn they look like there's there's something about what's going on that just isn't right you know you will know that much for sure now you know, if you are that person who's caring for or the supporter of somebody or lo just love somebody that is having that struggle, you know, it's like it's important just to just to be gentle with them, you know, and listen because that the, the reason that they're um, keeping it to themselves is because they're afraid, you know, they're afraid that it might get taken away, they're afraid it might get stopped, they're afraid of the shame what they, they might face if they tell somebody. And the most gentle... Um, and the most potential you have for them opening up to you is 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 really not going in like a steam like a bull in a china shop or a steamroller right. trying to get them to get help but just literally saying you know i'm here you know i'm here if you want i'm here when you're ready you know it's kind of like you know i i don't care what you're doing i just want to i just want to listen you know and it's like it's often very difficult for us as loved ones to actually listen to someone without giving advice. I mean, that's that's something that most people struggle with. How can we just listen to somebody who's talking about doing something that's harming themselves and just listen without giving advice? That becomes very difficult. But 
that opens up the potential of a life-changing opportunity for the time when that person is ready, when they say, you know what, yeah. I really want help, and I know exactly who's going to listen to me without judgment, you know, and it's like, that's the only time you can help anybody, is when they're ready. That's, that's, that's fascinating for me, because I don't live in the world that you live in. You deal with this on a daily basis with your, with your clients, you know, and, and personally, and, and, and with your groups. I think that's amazing advice, and I, and I just want everyone to really hear what, what you said, because it's true. Your first reaction is, you know, and again, let's say you have a coworker who you care about or somebody, maybe you just, just know them and you think you can help them. You're going to jump in and you're going to, you, you want to, and their first thing is, okay, I am no longer going to, they're going to shut down. They're going to back off. You might feel like they, they may lose you as a friend for a while. So the idea yeah. is to just say you're here if, in fact, this is what you're dealing with and, and, and try not to almost over overwhelm them. And when the time is right, and I guess that's for any listener out there that's dealing with that, or, and these all, all these people, these men and women do, by the way, they all go into situations where at some point in their career, multiple times in their career, they're going to run across someone that has this problem in the workplace. Yeah. So it's going to happen. And, and, and I think that's really solid advice is to let them know you're there, you care, and that's it almost. You know, not, not even try to give them any kind of advice or anything, just kind of just let them know. If they do reach out, yeah. listen. Try not to also give advice, and and you'll find the door will open up even more and more. And that's your best opportunity to help. If it, once you've established, I guess that trust that you're not going to label, you're not going to, you know, they're they're scared. That word you said, where they're they're frightened, they're scared, is really powerful. And I think everyone out there that's listening to us needs to hear that because that's that's. I didn't think about that, and I'm sure a lot of other folks out there haven't. The first reaction is judgment, and if you do want to help. You want to jump in and fix everything. Because, by the way, all these people that are listening to us are all caregivers. This is what they've dedicated their life to. They want to help people. So they're they're probably more like you, instinctively wanting to help first and, and listen yeah. second. Yeah. I can imagine so. Yeah. Well, I mean, interesting stuff. You know, it's uh, it's unfortunately, this is, you know, it's just it's the, the, the problem lies in the fact that you've got men and women who have access to things that the average person doesn't have access to, you couple that with a, uh, a tendency to have that addictive quality, and it can cause some really some, some issues. And that's why it's so prevalent in, I mean, everything from, I mean, I don't care if you're a dental hygienist all the way to a, a, you know, a, a, an oncology doctor. This stuff is rampant. In all countries, in all, in all aspects of life, <laughs> I feel so terrible. Thank you so much for doing this with me, with the feeling so rotten. Um, so, I mean, it, cool. it's, it just is. It's prevalent. I think you and I having an open conversation about it, as always with Travel Evolve, my, my objective is just I want people starting to think. I want people to start to talk about it. These episodes hopefully will, will span the test of time. And three years from now, someone could be watching us. And, and realizing that there's something that they're dealing with. And I'm hoping that some of the things that you said uh, today are going to, you know, really, really help somebody. And I think, like you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's if we can help one person, then this was a successful, a successful episode. So I want to yeah. let you go because I know that we could go long, long, but you're, you're so gracious to uh, – to join me today, not feeling good because I know we were dealing with a time difference. I'm, how, is it eleven hour? What's the what's this? Something you know that you know it better than I do. I think we're seven hours apart. Seven hours. That's because I'm in the mountain time. So, yeah. Yeah. at any rate, well, thank you so much for joining me. Feel better. Uh, I hope it's uh, as mild as what the other folks have been experiencing, and so far so good. But let's stay in touch yeah. as always. And uh, again, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. All right. Well, I was a hey, first of all, I'm very appreciative uh, for for Jason to spend some time. I, I, I could you guys could tell he's not feeling so great. Um, so that's cool with him. And you know, we did schedule this. So Jason, thank you so much for for doing this today. I think we could have gone a lot longer, but I just felt like it's. I mean, I just I could just tell he was not 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 doing great uh, health wise. So. A lot there, a lot there for you guys to think about and learn. I, I hope I did the episode justice with him uh, to kind of let him really kind of get into his head. I think, like I said earlier, you know, when we were before we brought him on, that there, there's just a lot there to think about. And I'm hoping, like I said to him, that somebody out there 
was positively affected by today's episode, whether it's now or in the future, whether they're themselves dealing with something or perhaps they find or stumble across someone who is, maybe some of the things that was said by, by Jason today uh, could, could go a long way to, to helping somebody to um, recognize and potentially take some steps to, to get rid of their addiction. Guys, it's, it is, it is, it's just rampant, and we know this. And I should, when I say rampant, I'm saying it, I see it more in this than any other industry because of the, the proximity and the ease of accessibility to, to, in our case, narcotics. I know Jason was talking a lot about different addictions, but I, I really, you know, today I really want to focus on the unspoken issue out there, and that is narcotics with people that have access to them. It's a problem. And we're not going to solve that on an episode of Travel Evolve, but maybe we can help a couple people to, uh, to get better and to continue to be able to have a, a phenomenal career and help hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people over their career uh, with whatever it is their specialty is to, to get better and be healthier and diagnose better and improve their, their life. And if we did that, then I think today was a, a super successful episode. So as always, we're going to tackle those subjects that not everyone's willing to. I think it's that other people just don't want to talk about things that make them uncomfortable. And especially people in my position, it's all got to be go travel because you make all kinds of money and everything is great. You're going to see the country and make money and friends, you know, and and while that's not untrue, (laughs) I just think that because this is a different career, what you guys do is so unique with the things we've talked about with other guests and how you have this this image of yourself that you have to feel like you have to uphold to, it, it really does lend a lot of different layers of complexity to to a mental issue, a mental health issue like this, and an addictive, you know, what we're talking about is an addiction. So um, we'll see. I'm certainly not a doctor. I just, like I said, I wanted to be, I wanted to get out there and have an episode that would get people to start talking about this because... We need to. There's some dangerous, really scary, you know, fentanyl-type drugs out there that, you know, we're not just talking about being on drugs and having a bad, you know, life and potentially hurting other people. We're talking about death here, too. I mean, this stuff is scary out there right now. And I have had travelers who have had that particular addiction, and it that scares the hell out of me. Uh, so anyway, guys, as always, I appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for subscribing to either YouTube or to a podcast platform. Got a, Like I said, I told you we had some really wild episodes coming up, and I'm going to keep them coming. We have a bunch of really great topics that I've, I've seen, and they're just going to keep getting better and better. So as always, guys, I appreciate it, and I will catch you guys next time on Travel Evolved.